Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. What is the creator economy and why should you care? Well, in 2022, there are 3 billion gamers in the world. And by 2027, the industry is expected to be worth more than $339 billion. That is a lot of eyeballs. So if you're asking, how did that happen? Here's your answer. Gamers and the industry have grown up. What used to be something you did in your mom's basement has now evolved to worldwide tournaments, huge conventions, and live streaming on Twitch. Gamers are now considered athletes. 13-year-olds are being called the next all-stars, and major corporate sponsors are joining the bandwagon. Think about it this way. When bank robber Willie Sutton was asked, why do you rob banks? He replied, because that's where the money is. So if you want to know where the money is and get the inside scoop, we are talking today with Mike Sepso. He is one of the true legends in gaming. Mike is best known as the founder of Major League Gaming, a professional esports organization that he sold to Activision Blizzard. Today, Mike is CEO of Vindex, a company that supports everything from in-person gaming studios to some of the biggest esports events on the planet. As one of the people building the future for gaming, he can help us understand the industry's past, present, and future, and where exactly brands and marketers fit into it all. So put on your ultra high fidelity 3D gaming headset, or not, and let's take a deep dive into all things gaming. Roll the intro, please. Everything is better with creators. The podcast that takes a deep dive into all things creator economy. Produced and presented by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. With your hosts, Ashley Rudder, Emma Harmon, Jamie Goodfriend, and Marco Batozzi. everyone. Welcome to this episode of Everything is Better with Creators. I'm Jamie Goodfriend, your guide to all things happening in the creator economy. Every week, myself or my colleagues, Marco Petrozzi, Emma Harmon, or Ashley Rudder will be hosting this podcast. Coming up, we're getting right into this episode with our big interview with Mike Sepso from Vindex. If you want to learn about the future of esports, gaming conventions, gamers, and Twitch creators, Get your headphones ready for this amazing episode. 
Just a reminder that Everything is Better with Creators is brought to you by Whaler. The Whaler Way combines tech, talent, and creative social strategy to match brands with creators and produce authentic content that people really want to see. Whaler is democratizing the creative process for brands and creators by empowering a global talent network of thousands of influencers, tastemakers, creatives, and storytellers to connect with your target audience, making advertising more inclusive, diverse, and effective. Check out more at Whaler. That's W-H-A-L-A-R dot com. And now it's time to bring up the headliner of the evening. Very special. Please welcome to the stage The Big Interview. Everything is better with creators. I am so excited that I get to talk to Mike Sepso today. And it was uh, really a, a, a amazing that you could make some time because I know how busy you are. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Jamie. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, well, so you were actually early here. You're always early. And I like to say you are you were earlier than early in gaming. Uh <laughs> Before anybody, which I guess could be a blessing and, and a curse. Uh, yeah. And I I always learn things from you. Um, but before we get started, and I know it's funny asking you this on a podcast, but what was the name of that restaurant we went to in New York that was so <laughs> incredible? <laughs> it is Cote, uh, C-O-T-E. Um, oh, my God. Still one of yeah. the best meals I've ever had. <laughs> and see, I learned things from you. It is excellent. Um, they also have... One in Miami now, if you want to go to that. Good to um, know. Good to know. I, I love that. Well, uh, welcome to a post-COVID moment, thank God. And uh, you have a lot going on, so we're going to get into it. I think the okay. main thing we want to do today is really help demystify and unpack the world of gaming and esports and how it connects with the metaverse, how it connects with creators and the opportunity for brands and marketers and all the data that's required. So we'll, we'll cover all of these things. Okay. Uh, but I, it was, it was interesting as well as I know you, and I was digging in doing some research and you've had quite a, an incredible career, which I'm going to ask you about. But one of the things that I found that was a common thread through everything you've been doing is that you really understand the audience, which mm -hmm makes a huge difference. And I, and I think that's a rare case in this space where people get into it for the finance or the strategy because they see it's a big thing. Can you, can you just give us a little bit of background? Like you were a gamer. How'd mm -hmm. you start? How did, you know, what was the road that started you off? And well, then we'll get to the Vindex story. Sure. Um, I still am a gamer. And I think that's an important part <laughs> of uh, what I do every day. So I don't, play the same kind of games anymore because I'm, you know, in my late fifties, I mean, sorry, in my late forties, almost 50. So I play different games than I used to. Um, no more Halo. I play a little bit of Halo, but okay. you know, it's, it's tough to keep up in multiplayer these days. Just like I don't play a lot of pickup basketball anymore either. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I think that's how it started is I, you know, so my best friend and, and I, uh, his name's Sundance DiGiovanni. He and I um, built a, a bit of a agency business back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And as we were exiting that, we were playing a lot of Halo. Um, as one does. Yeah, as one does when you have some time in the summer for the first time. 
Um, we, you know, were excited to have some time off and we wound up, you know, we lived in New York City, downtown in Manhattan. We got to see a lot of fun things and active nightlife and got the summer off and weren't really working. And we wound up just playing more and more and more Halo, um, which was not a terrible thing. Um, there happened to be a really cool club downtown in Chinatown called Fun at the time. If anybody's from the early 2000s, late 90s New York City scene, that actually in the VIP room, which was kind of elevated above a bar, they would broadcast a PlayStation across the to the wall on the opposite side. So even when we went out, we were still playing just a lot. Um, and, and drinking. That, yeah, it was definitely drinking too. But between that and um, going to Yankees games, because we didn't have a lot of time while we were working in the summers, and we're both big Yankees fans, that somehow gelled into MLG, which was kind of the first big commercial esports business. Um, we certainly did not invent esports. In fact, what largely what we did was realize that there was a whole sort of movement around this in South Korea. And so we looked at a, a lot of what was happening there. And then we realized that, you know, kids, mostly college kids in the U.S. were actually running tournaments. Um, and we thought, kind of, how can we commercialize that? And our, believe it or not, because um, I know we want to talk about the creator economy a little bit, our first mission with that company was to support 100 gamers who could have real careers and full-time positions just playing video games professionally. What year was this? That was 2003. So 2003, you, it, what was it called MLG in 2003? Um, I think into, yeah, so it had a different name at the beginning. It was just some acronym for something that didn't exist. But <laughs> we eventually, I think in 2003, came up with the name Major League Gaming. And it's so interesting that you had this vision early on about creators and gamers. And were there professional gamers at that point? I know in Korea... They had the PC bang world, and that was yeah. kind of happening. And what was it, StarCraft? or StarCraft was really the big game there. There, there were certainly were professional gamers um, as far back as, I think, late 90s. Um, you could argue that they existed well before that. But, you know, what, what we were really thinking is kind of less you could make, you know, at that point, I would say it was almost like, you know, early boxing or something. It was like you would go as an independent gamer to a tournament and try to win the cash prize. That's not what we were trying to do, right? We were trying to build a sustainable career opportunity for 100 gamers, which if you think about it now is ridiculous because there's probably 10,000 gamers live on Twitch and YouTube right now that are making way more money than we ever thought. And that's just right now, right? Like in, in real time. So, but at that time... 100 gamers gaming as a career seemed absurd. It was like, it was kind of a big marketing statement that we made just to show how crazy and how committed we were to this concept because we're going to 100 people to have a career at it. So, well, as I said, earlier than early. Yeah. <laughs> but marketing's <laughs> always ahead of product, Mike. That's just the way of the, that's just the way of the world. So that's okay. That that's, that's okay. True. But I, but it's amazing, though, because it's I don't even know if people even knew what a creator people just weren't even thinking about creators. Then we were still in that and up and even till recently. And we will get into the creator economy, the idea of individuals having any kind of power other than actor or an actress who still need yeah. studios to to grant them their 
ability well, think, to perform. I think Sundance and I also grew up in the Michael Jordan era when Nike and Michael Jordan grew what was the first real athlete endorsement, you know, ecosystem. Although, you know, I think um, Mark McCann and Arnold Palmer were really the first to do that, right, at IMG. And we eventually got to work with IMG on, on this as well. But um, that was kind of the, you know, we, we sort of could guess where this was going. And I think we grew up in that period in the 80s when athletes became superstars and brands associated with them beyond just what it was in the early days. And then obviously through the 90s, like the growth of Nike and the Jordan brand was enormous. So I think I think we had that in mind when we were thinking about what a gamer could be. That's um, so smart. It's uh, so ahead. And, and I think that there's still, even though that was already back in 2003 and we're in 2022, I still find that brands don't truly understand gamers. There's a lot of urban myths. I actually yeah. have couple of stats I wanted to throw at you okay. and, and, uh, but I, I want to unpack why this gaming audience is so important and why brands really should be paying attention to it. Uh, and how Vindex is helping you do that because 46% of females consider themselves gamers mm -hmm. or call themselves gamers, which is not surprising to me, but right. is surprising to a lot of brands. 80% of Gen Z's consider gaming to be their hobby their primary hobby, yep. and 72% of 35 to 54-year-olds engage with gaming daily. So that's way different than what people would expect. We're way yep. gone past, you know, gamer in the mom's basement. Yes. And yeah, are you but seeing that? I've been explaining that to brands and agencies for literally 20 years. So it's the conversation hasn't changed. In two decades, the people have, and what I would tell you is, you know, early days, I would say like the 2004, five, six era of, of major league gaming, there were very few people in the agency or brand side that understood it at all. There were also very few people in the video game industry that understood it at all. Um, and what's changed, I think, is 20 years later, there are people in media agencies and brand managers who grew up then, right? I've even done investor pitches where, you know, a, a VP of a fund will come up to me after the meeting and just like want to shake my hand because they, you know, their childhood was deeply impacted by MLG and our TV show and those kind of things. So I think it's a generation and, and it's funny because I remember in 2003 and four, um, you know, talking to investors then and, and most people and even even agency people saying like, this is never really going to happen, is it? And I, and I said, well, worst case, I'm just going to have to wait for you to retire because whoever replaces you is totally going to get it because that's who's watching this today. Right. And so but, that's definitely happened. But what's the happen? So I guess console games, like we, the, everybody knows that console games and Activision, uh, yeah. you know, Call of Duty, those kind of things are huge. Uh, but what's the it's going to happen in your mind? And are we just talking esports? Are we talking mobile games? How do you define the think, happening? Yeah. So when I was, you know, in the frame of reference of early MLG days, happen was that esports was going to become a thing. And and keep in mind, I don't think it was until much later, two thousand seven, eight, or nine, where people started to use the word esports. We called it pro gaming or competitive gaming back then. 
Um, there were some standout people who got it, who saw ahead. I, one was Frank Cooper, who is now CMO at Visa, but at the time was, um, you know, I think a, in charge of kind of lifestyle and entertainment marketing for Pepsi, um, for Pepsi mm-hmm. beverage. And he had come out of the music industry and was a, you know, marketing executive at a huge, you know, portfolio of brands. And I remember him saying, this is definitely going to be huge. I don't know how we can interact with it yet, but, you know, and I remain friends with Frank through the years and have, you know, he's kind of seen it happen, which has been really interesting. And I think he's one of the, you know, kind of standout people in, in marketing over the past few decades. So, um, but there, I don't want to say that like nobody got it in, on the agency side or the brand side. I think people did. Um, and I think the, you know, I remember also having a, a meeting in Detroit at Plantworks um, where one of the marketing execs there said to me, um, yeah, I don't really get any of this. My kids play video games. I guess we can sprinkle a little cash on it as a trial or so, you know, maybe for one of our entry level cars. And then the, my sales person who was there with me started talking, started talking about it. Like it was sort of soccer, you know, you, everybody plays soccer, but it's not a big professional sport. And same thing with gaming, all kids play games. Eventually it's going to be a sport. And he was kind of making that. And the guy stopped him and said, yeah, our dance card is full in this country on sports. Soccer is never going to be a thing either. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, yes. I think it's the same mentality, right? Yeah. It's like, I can only see what's right in front of me. I'm not really thinking ahead about culture or people. And I think because I've never really been on the agency side, I've never marketed anything unless it was something I came up with. I, I tend to think more like the audience. You've never had to sell mayonnaise. That's a, <laughs> you know, when you're selling mayonnaise, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a whole other story, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I, I think we've seen this, we've seen this movie before, right? Where, Oh, my kids are playing it and pick anything, pick, digital yeah. pick yeah. TikTok, pick the roblox minecraft there's so many of these things you think that it would get to the point where there'd be a bit more belief but there is a lack of data insights infrastructure and yeah. i've often described when people have said to me what is vindex and i say and i try to do my best at explaining it but i say you know remember in the gold rush how levi's <laughs> They made money not trying to dig for gold, but to clothe and handle the the miners. That's that's Vindex. Vindex is like NFL films plus Levi's plus everything else. So what's your what's your elevator speech on Vindex and how are you helping people get this vision and take it forward and and build a business? So I, yeah, look look, I describe Vindex as a gaming technology company. We you know we deploy different types of technology to accomplish solving big problems for the video game industry and the different constituents that want to play around with the video game industry. So we started by helping big publishers um, kind of operate their esports leagues and produce the content behind it. Um, we, we also started by ingesting lots of data across the entire ecosystem to try to do a better job ourselves, but then to kind of build it out. We've invested in a consumer platform, belong gaming arenas, so that we can bring um, the esports and sort of gaming culture and experience to hometowns everywhere. Um, but effectively, what we're trying to do is the the video game industry 
I think you know the uh, the other stat, in addition to still having to explain esports and gaming to marketers and agencies, the thing I'm still also doing um, it is kind of explaining to the video game industry how media works, right? The right when I started, just just to back up, we eventually sold MLG to Activision Blizzard in 2015, and I became the head of a new division there to kind of consolidate media and esports and in one group. And at the time I said to my boss, the CEO of the company, you know, I'm, I'm employee like 9,578 and I'm the only one here who's ever sold an ad. We're going to have a lot of work to do to kind of make this. <laughs> right. Um, you know, cause my job was to create a league structure and a media business that would monetize that league opportunity. I think more interestingly for Vindex, what we're doing today is the entire industry, it's it's now, th- this is another fact in, in that, you know, explaining this world to marketers and agencies. I don't think anybody realizes, I think everybody's seen the stat that like, okay, games are bigger than movies and music and things like that. Gaming from a revenue perspective globally is almost two and a half times larger than social media, right? It's bigger than everything. And the growth rate is higher. So, you know, close to 9% growth annualized over the next five, six years. In players or in revenue? Revenue. Starting at about $200 billion in revenue and growing pretty substantially from there. Um, One of the things that's impacting the overall industry, though, if you think about the, the big constituent players, the EAs and Activisions and Microsofts and Sonys and the kind of, they're all moving towards games as a service and different business models, whether it's free to play or subscription like Game Pass that that Microsoft has, which is really also interesting because it's not really driven by the game companies. It's not because of technical disruption. It's because of consumer demand, which is exactly the same thing that happened. Esports wasn't a tech, technical innovation. Like we didn't create some new software at MLG and then esports became a thing. We created some software to do different things, but it wasn't, that's wasn't what it was. And I always, you know, when I meet new people or when I started at Activision Blizzard as a senior vice president, I would meet people and, you know, shake their hand and say, I remember you because you sent me a cease and desist letter 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, you know, we were responding to the whole industry as gamers and consumers and and recognizing this huge consumer demand that really pulled the industry in that place. It's happening again. It's happening with free-to-play. It's happening with games as a service. So, you know, obviously the retail channel doesn't exist. You don't go to a GameStop and buy a game for $65 anymore, but you still pay $65 and you download it. What the consumers really want, and whether you're talking about League of Legends or Fortnite or most mobile games is an experience that's free and you pay for value inside the game once once you start playing it. None of that is technically driven. That's just responding to how consumers want to play games. And just the, the technical part, the digital download, that happened 15 years ago, right? That's been right. around since the internet. So you don't that's not what changed it. The fact that you could download a game didn't change the industry. They just charged you $65 to download it instead of drive to the store and buy it. But, but now it's, it's still, changing. Yeah, but it's still this, I still think that people think of it as a niche. And maybe it's yeah. the $200 people, billion dollar niche. 
2.77 billion people play yeah. games in the world yeah. Yeah. of a population of seven point something billion. So yeah. I, I'm right there with you and I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm just still mesmerized by the ability to people for people to not see where the world is going because yeah. it's not in line with what their interests are. Yeah. And I, I look at Arcane and that launch, and it's interesting. You talk to some people, and for those who may not know, that's uh, Riot Games has League of Legends, and they launched. I'm t- I'm telling you, Mike, like you don't know, but I'm telling the people who are listening. Uh, that's Netflix um, created. They created content, but uh, Riot Games created it and painstakingly yep. created it. Yep. And among fans, I think it has like a 98 percent positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you are a fan, people think it's fantastic. But industry people say, eh, it's not It's not as big as it could have been, should have been, would have been. And I think it was such a brilliant integrated marketing campaign. It was on Twitch. It was, they had music videos. They had a band. I mean, just brilliant, state of the art. And yet, if you talk to entertainment gurus, they go, eh, I mean, what is that? Yeah, look, I you know, I, funny. I had a so you know Jamie, but my girlfriend is a musician and um, is a Sony artist, and I often kind of socialize with people in the music industry, and they're always curious, you know, and and you have these funny conversations, and they're usually like any industry in entertainment or media, they're complaining about you know something that it doesn't isn't it awful how this happens or blah blah or isn't this so stupid we still do this and. I've had some very, um, very, very senior music executives say to me, well, well, what do you think of, you know, I know what you do now. What do you think of the music industry? And I say, I think it's just really small. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it to you any other way. I think it's just tiny. Like it's, it, you know, it, the, and I think that's the, the situation. It's the sort of size of an industry from a business and financial perspective the ratio to its cultural impact. That's what you're seeing. Like people that don't see gaming are seeing just the sort of mainstream cultural impact, right? Like video games don't have an Oscars, but all anybody talked about for the last couple of weeks was the Oscars and how crazy, you know, it's like, and let's face it, like almost nobody watches the Oscars anymore. And everybody who was talking about it wasn't talking about what won best picture. I don't think anyone saw the movie that won best picture. (laughs) It was like very small movie but um but the cultural impact of those industries of music of film of those things it's in tv in a way and now we're talking about you know streaming tv not broadcast tv but i think that's the thing is if you don't exist in the part of the culture that talks about it all day because if you ask a typical you know kind of somebody in their early 20s they're gonna know they're gonna have a lot more sort of cultural talking points about gaming than they would about, sure. you know, Coda or any of the best picture noms this year. And so yeah. I think, you know, that's where the world's heading. It's just a generational wave. Like, you know, I... I like electricity? Up. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I often sort of um, compare it to hip hop, right? I grew up in the 80s. Right outside of New York City, hip hop has been a part of my life since I was, I don't know, 11, 10 or 11, something like that. It just was, it already always existed to me, just like classic rock always existed and eventually punk and alternative and all the different kinds of music that I used to listen to. 
But for my, you know, my aunts and uncles and other relatives who were 10 or 15 years older than me, it was like a foreign language they're never going to understand. And it wasn't music. And it was, the, you know, it was like, and I just never got it. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Have you listened to Run DMC ever? It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I still listen to hip hop, right? I'm still interested in new artists and like that. But the there's a generational divide. Anybody kind of born five to 10 years before me probably just never got it unless they really went out of their way to understand it. And that's kind of what, what gaming is. Although gaming's been around for a very long time, gaming as sort of a mainstream, always connected activity didn't really, I don't think, start to take off until the 90s. And really just 10 years ago became kind of a super dominant media format. So you're going to see it happen over the next 20 years. And I can tell 20 you 20 years. The, I yeah. no, come on. No, not another 20 years. I don't, I can't. That's well, let me see so that. I, I think I've made some crazy statements over, over the past 20 years about how big gaming was going to get. <laughs> I think that from a cultural impact point of view, from a sort of a mainstreaming where every generation currently in the world can talk about gaming in a sort of similar way. Right. And I think, a lot of it to me sort of goes back to like the theses in, in Sapiens, that great book, right? It's like, if everybody doesn't believe in the myth, like video games aren't really a thing. It's, you know, you, the lore of Halo is the same thing as a religion to some people. Like you can, or World of Warcraft or any of these games, like you can talk about it with people who are steeped in that world, just like you could talk about religion to some people or Tolkien or some, you know, Star Wars for me, right? Like, People can't, there's there's an age gap where people don't understand anything that you're talking about. It's like foreign to them. I think similarly with sports, I'm a huge Yankees fan. Um, Sundance and I used some of our MLG money to buy great season tickets for the Yankees. You know, and we're both turning 50 this summer. I think we're the youngest people in our section. Yeah. Right, at Yankee Stadium. So... I think that the world is turning in a different direction and away from a lot of things that happen. And I remember, and I'm sure you do, growing up, that there was all of this worry among teachers and the federal government that kids were watching six to eight hours of television a day and MTV was going to ruin everybody's lives. Well, that six to eight hours has been replaced by gaming, right? Kids don't watch TV anymore. They're playing games. And when they're not playing, a lot of them are watching game videos on Twitch and YouTube. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? 
head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Yeah, let's stick with that. That's the pivot point that I find so fascinating. And I and I do have a bone to pick with marketing executives and I, because I've been on both sides. I've been on the brand side and the marketing sure. side, and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of not knowing, but I think it's their job to learn so that they can help their businesses. But the the facts are, and I've had this debate with quite a few people recently, and I think I'm going to get, I get in trouble a lot, but let's face it, CPMs are going up for TV and ratings are down. So yeah. that's kind of invert, inverse and crazy. Eyeballs are moving, especially with younger kids. You can't find them. They're scarce. You cannot find them. Where are they spending their time? They're spending their time on non-commercial content. They will actually pay money so that they don't have to see ads. They hate at traditional ads. Yep. They are in games. They're in Roblox. And they're, they're not available. So why is so much money still being poured into TV? <laughs> and I always say to people, it's because nobody gets fired for buying a TV ad. That's yep. because that's what the infrastructure is built for. Yep. However, and I think this is where Vindex is coming in, the infrastructure has not really been built in a way that supports massive investment by advertisers in gaming. And yes. if it's, and I've had a conversation, um, I was talking to Dylan Collins from Super Awesome, which Epic bought about yep. a year or so ago. And what we were saying is, as much as the eyeballs are there, you can't write an IO for $50 million and buy media across gaming. You just can't yep. do it in that same way. So. How are you saving it? What are you doing, Mike? What's your role? How are you picking this up and, yeah. and helping make this happen? Well, look, I think the first thing is there is massive amounts of engagement in a media format that should feel very native to most media planners and buyers and agency executives because it's still linear video and it's live or on demand. Um, but I, th I think the good news is, and, and I don't want to, um, I'm not being critical of in-game advertising when I say this, but if everybody, if marketers are really just looking at how do I put an ad in a game, they're missing something huge, which is called Twitch and YouTube, right? Amazon and Google happen to own these massive high, high engagement platforms that keep huge numbers, millions and millions and millions of people right in the demo that most marketers want to hit engaged for hours. And I think largely because those media platforms were started by big tech companies, not entertainment conglomerates, they didn't come at it from a, how do I build this around an ad, right? I mean, effectively 30 minute TV programs were built around advertising. Seasons for new sitcoms were built around car ads way back when, right? Like, right. So, 22 whole, episodes. Yeah, the whole industry and 22 minutes of programming and eight minutes of ads and promo. Like, there's no way a tech company was ever going to adopt that ethos. So, they took it from the how do I keep consumers engaged? You know, how do I build users and keep them engaged on my platform more and more and more? And then the case of both. Twitch and YouTube, it was not just how do I keep viewers, but how do I keep creators and grow a whole creator economy? Because 
I don't really want to produce content. People produce their own content and then other people watch it. Why don't I create an ecosystem? So I think that ecosystem ethos, which is, you know, you, you think of it like you're building a pond or a source of food or something like that. And then lots of different parties in that ecosystem come to eat together. Like that's how I think about Twitch. It's people creating content for people that want to view that content. Same thing with YouTube, right? They pioneered it in VOD. Twitch really kind of killed it in live. Both, and I think this was not well understood, and I think YouTube, you know, sort of purposely tried to downplay this. Gaming content was the predominant content on YouTube for a long time, way back when YouTube was selling ads against Vivo, you know, music videos and right. health and beauty and those kind of things. Most of the action was in gaming content. Um, Twitch started as a gaming platform and it's since expanded out a little bit. But I think that whole world of like people creating and sharing with other people really is native to the gaming consumer activity or behavior. And so our approach has been, you know, and I've suffered the pain now for 20 years of trying to sell ads and sponsorships against video game content and esports and those kind of things where you just don't have any data. There's not much you can show. The entire landscape is still a very fractured data landscape. So what we've done with Vindex is, you know, first part of our business is called the Esports Engine. We help big publishers create their esports content and operate their leagues and those kind of things. We're producing hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of content for on Twitch and YouTube every year. So we started measuring all of it. We just built a really big data warehousing capability um, to just pull in all the data we possibly could without really knowing what we're going to do with it. Then we started optimizing our own program. So if we're creating a broadcast for Activision, we're sort of like fine tuning it by seeing how the audience reacts to different segments and sort of normalizing that. But now we've been doing that for the past two years. And so we've been ingesting, um, you know, many terabytes of data per week across the whole ecosystem, Twitch and YouTube gaming, Twitter, Reddit, sort of everywhere that gamers touch, just ingesting lots and lots of data, whatever's publicly available. Likewise. Audiences on every single channel, every few minutes across both platforms. So we're watching, you know, how audiences react to different things. For our own content that we're producing for our customers, we're, you know, watching what we're programming. So is it a replay section? Is it a live game? Who's playing? you know, sort of all the, all the metadata around that particular broadcast so that we can see how audiences react to different things and where patterns emerge. Ultimately, what we were trying to do is not solve an advertising problem. We were just trying to get a better understanding of how the whole ecosystem reacts. Because I think one of the things that's going to start to happen, and this can tie into, you know, your metaverse point at the end is in the metaverse, but also in the way that gamers react today, we are not platform oriented necessarily. So the ad sales and media world is based on, you know, everybody a hundred years ago got went to the upfronts and sold you all the new NBC shows. And right. you bought that from the NBC sales exec who took you out to play golf. And then that turned into digital. And then you were hearing the same thing at the new fronts from Yahoo and AOL. And then skip ahead. Everyone's still, you're buying a platform, not necessarily maybe some content on that platform and that's what gets you hooked, but you're really buying the platform. I think where this is heading is because creators are so powerful because, because the game brands are so powerful because those experiences are so powerful. 
you don't necessarily just want to buy, you know, so if you want to be associated with Fortnite, for instance, you don't necessarily just want to be associated with Fortnite on Twitch. You might want to be associated with Fortnite on Reddit and YouTube and Discord and lots of places. And you might, more interestingly, want to be associated with Ninja, who's a really popular Fortnite player. And maybe you also want to work with Epic on some educational things because Fortnite happens to be a great creator tool and not just a video game. And you have to think more broadly as a marketer. I think what we're trying to do is solve that ecosystem data approach. So I don't know exactly yet. We just announced last week a partnership with the IAB to create a bunch of workshops so that we can talk to media agencies about, hey, we have this massive amount of data and we know more about gaming consumers than anybody else does. What kind of things could we build on top of this? What sort of insights are you looking for that will help you better inform your workflow, kind of adjust to this way of thinking, and frankly, just shine a light on the whole ecosystem so you're not just looking you know, through a periscope to kind of one part of the ecosystem, you can see the whole thing. You can see how audiences go from platform to platform to platform. What we're not solving for yet is what's happening in the game. And I do think there are a lot of great um, small tech companies that are fixing or trying to come up with great solves for in-game. But I also see it as a problem because, you know, sort of like HBO back in the day or Netflix now, a lot of those premium experiences consumers are now just willing to pay for because they don't want an ad. Right. And you know, all of the ad, if you took the, if you sort of sat down with the franchise manager for call of duty and you said, Johanna, I'm going to give you like, here's a 10 X what any other ad, you know, sale ever happened on a big TV show. It wouldn't make, it wouldn't move the needle for call of duty, right? Like the revenue generated through the game is an order of magnitude bigger than anything that that audience would warrant on a CPM purchase basis. Correct. So you're just never going to get in those big games. It's like it's the same reason Netflix doesn't want to blow up its user experience by putting a bunch of ads in front of everybody because they can just keep raising the monthly subscription fee and nobody seems to churn out. At least because of content. Right, right. Well, <clears throat> I do know, and Full disclosure, I'm an advisor for Anzu, which yep. is doing, you know, in-game programmatic. But but to that point, they're one of the companies I was talking about. I think Freeplay, Anzu, there's a bunch of companies yeah. that are approaching it really interestingly because there's also 2.7 billion people that play right. games. Exactly. There's, there's only tens of millions who play Call of Duty. 2.7 billion play games. Yeah. And there's tons of inventory available out there in mobile games and casual games and more in PC and some console games. That's going to be a big category of advertising, but it's probably not going to be, you know, it's unrealistic to think it's going to be the entire ecosystem of games, right? It's going to be huge audiences, highly engaged. Like I get ads because I play mobile games a lot. And so the ones that I don't pay for, I'm seeing ads and I'm You're seeing the product. every once in a while. But, but I, I love this. I love this idea of the ecosystem though. And I think that is a really smart way of looking at it. And in fact, when you look at e-commerce, what a lot of brands don't realize is that when you have a D2C site, your D2C site, especially how it connects with Google and SEO uh, and how your user behavior is, you've got, say you have a D2C site, then you've got Walmart, Target, and Amazon. Well, much of the time, the ecosystem, you're spending money to promote D2C 
the user sees that as a brand, you shouldn't really care if they buy it on your D2C or if they go to buy it on Amazon because it's free shipping and it's faster and they can also buy their toothpaste if you're not a toothpaste manufacturer. But when you when you change the behavior in the ecosystem on the D2C site, it affects your target Walmart and Amazon. They're all linked and it is an ecosystem good or bad. And most brands don't get that. Some, some do obviously, but most don't. And it's not channel. You, you have to be like, that's what omni channel truly is. And I wonder if this is like omni gaming. I'm a consumer. I want to be able to buy whatever I want to buy, whether it's buy online, pick up in store. I want to buy it from your D to C. I want to buy it. However I want to buy it. That's what it should be. And with gaming, I'm sort of making this leap here. I could be completely nuts and wrong. It feels like there's an opportunity to say, I may want to play in Roblox, watch that gamer on YouTube, go over here to, you know, this game that's free, whatever it might be. I'm going to flow through the way I want to. You can't constrain my viewing habits. Yes, I, I actually agree with you. And I think it goes back to what I was saying before about how innovation happens in the video game industry. It happens through consumer demand, not technical innovation. Unlike the like, think about the music industry; it's completely transformed by the internet. Totally technical technical transformation. It wasn't necessarily consumers saying like, "I don't like these things anymore." It was just easier, and technology changed the music industry. Technology dramatically changed television in the past ten years. Right. Technology doesn't change the video game industry because gamers demand what gamers want to do. And the industry responds. And I think that I'm trying to take that kind of message, which I think is what you're saying too, to the Mm -hmm. advertising world and saying, look, I just, I got to be real with the advertising world. 20 years ago, you might've had more power than the the gaming industry. Today, you really don't. You know, you kind of, you're you're not anytime soon getting an ad in Netflix. You're not, you know, HBO went from cable to streaming and they still don't have ads in the platform. You're losing places to put ads in front of, younger consumers and if you don't start thinking about how they behave if you don't start understanding how gamers behave and every gamer is not the same there's 2.7 billion of them right clearly people that play wordle and and you know (laughs) mobile games are different than call of duty players and fortnite players and you know younger kids play roblox and minecraft and then they grow up and play fortnite and call of duty and that's kind of how things happen but there's a wealth of games out there. There's lots of different experiences. And, and it's not just the game. It's also the videos of the game, right? If you watch kids play Roblox you're, and you follow them around for the day, I can guarantee you they're watching Roblox videos on YouTube later. And yeah, going back to playing and then watching more YouTube videos on Roblox. And then, you know, that's kind of how it works. And you can pretty accurately predict what games are going to be popular based on viewership on Twitch and YouTube gaming. 100%. I... I totally agree. What I have the same conversation sometimes with brands and particularly with media agencies because the brands are starting to really see it because in terms of uh, social video like and with creator content <clears throat> and it's but it's not a a standard line item on their media plans just like gaming right. isn't yeah. TV is yeah. and creator content is still sometimes it's the PR team sometimes it's like the 22 year old social media intern you know there's there's a lot of um it's all over the place so on one company we're dealing with you know global CMO and on another company we're dealing with the intern so I think that there's this 
it's, it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, it's fun. It's the, it's again, the wild west, but we know, and I'm, we're actually getting ready to release a, a research study in about a month about consumer behavior with creators and what's happening on that side. And we do know that they actively avoid ads and it's not ads. Uh, it's, it's traditional ads. So it's not about getting better creative. It's traditional ads. They just avoid, they'll pay extra money they're not on there. And I think the other thing that we're seeing is that this 24 seven always on community of content, whether it's through creators and gamers or creators, same thing. You don't have to wait for a day and date. You don't have to wait for a new season or a, a new launch or for a publisher to post new content. It's always there. Yeah. So as a media buyer, you got to find a way to get into merge into traffic and hold your own and add value. And that is not what the system is used is used to. And there you're gonna get rejected very quickly. I think that I think it's a burning platform moment. I don't know if you do. I I think right now we're at a burning platform moment. Yeah. Look, I'm not close enough, you know, to your world to make that prediction, but from my perspective, um, Look, advertising is not going away, but how ads get created and placed and what they are is certainly going to change a lot. And so, you know, I think that the, again, the, the infrastructure which made the media business so efficient is now holding it back from adapting to all the new formats and new consumer behaviors. And I think that for sure is, it's tough. I think that's why you see brands taking more in-house because more of it is sort of broadly experiential, right? It's like live experiences and different formats and, and property associations, what we used to call sponsorships, right? Versus kind of just spots and dots because there aren't as many spots and dots. And what's crazy is you're right. Like television audiences are cratering and CPMs are going up. That doesn't really happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> Scarcity. It's but it, nobody. It, but it's you're chasing especially for younger consumers. You cannot yeah. find them. I, t I totally, right. I totally agree. And a lot of times, what we're seeing with gaming content too um, <clears throat> is that keep brands, smart brands, are using the content that gamers and or creators are making as their creative production strategy. You don't have to go to a studio. You don't have to yeah. go and have fancy long-term production shoots that cost bazillions of dollars. That world is shifting. I'm not saying it's dead, but it's certainly shifting. So for you guys, for Vindex, and I know um, I've kept you for quite a long time. This has been fascinating. I could talk to you all day. How do people, like if I'm a brand and I want to learn more, what, what what's the use case? Am I coming? I love the idea that you're doing brand workshops. What's my use case with Vindex? What do you want people yeah. to think about? So look, ho hopefully the value that we can provide the advertising world is to, again, kind of illuminate and explain this world, right? We think that there is a massive treasure trove of engaged audiences that you can put pretty standard creative in front of in a fairly normal way on Twitch and YouTube. But we also think that thinking more broadly about the games, the esports leagues, the creators, the teams, that whole world is very, very big now, and we can help you understand it with real data. Um, I think the way to engage, so so today we don't work with brands very often. Occasionally, 
Um, we worked with you in a we prior. We tried. <laughs> yeah, we tried. Uh, we've, we've done some of it. You know, we are primarily working with big video game publishers and studios, teams and, and agencies and, and that are working with creators. Um, and we have a consumer platform. What we're trying to do for the advertising world is say, let us sort of show you how this whole ecosystem works with real data, right? We've built a very big platform. We know it works because we've been using it internally for two years to make this type of content and distribute this content more smartly. So there's a few things that we can do for brands. First is, you know, if you're an IAV member, we can invite you to this workshop and you can give us real product. We can show you what the data is and you can tell us how you'd like to slice and dice it and do you want to integrate it into your workflow? And I don't know if people still use MediaOcean, but you know those kind of tools that we can try to integrate some of this data into. Hopefully, we can help you build better media planning tools for this world. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, what we'd like to do is help you make better buying decisions and get real scale, right? Get TV level scale because it exists today for sure. You're just thinking too narrowly about single platforms and not thinking more broadly enough about how do I reach a really wide consumer basis and how do I associate with particular games or particular parts of gaming culture? Um, how do I work with lots of different influencers, right? That's, it's still done very hand to hand and we're going to try to provide enough data and a, enough sort of workflow integration to make that a smoother on-ramp. I think the other thing is, and I've certainly been guilty of this, but not for five to 10 years is, I think a lot of marketers have been scared that like gaming's huge, but if you make the wrong move or if you're inauthentic in any way, you'll never be invited back to this party. And let me tell you, as one of the people who made this whole esports mess in the first place, it's way too big for that. You can make all kinds of mistakes and figure it out later. There's no single thing that's going to make you, you know, one mistake is not going to mean your brand will never resonate with with gamers, there's 2.7 billion gamers, right? Like, <laughs> you're you're not we're we're past that point. Just like you know, we're not in the 15 years ago world where gaming is small and niche and this thing where everybody sort of shared the same headspace. It doesn't exist anymore. There's lots of room to make mistakes and experiment. So it's a kinder, gentler audience, perhaps, or it's just so big. It's just so big. I would say it's not kinder, gentle in most cases, but you know, not any different from. Um, sports fans or, you know, look, you, you put the wrong creative on a, you know, local sports broadcast and the home team fans are going to hate you. And it's not any different from that. There's lots of, lots of niches that have different community tastes and things like that in this space, but there's no such such thing as making a mistake that is going to be read as inauthentic by gamers. And therefore you're blacklisted from gaming for the next 10 years. So I would urge people to get in an experiment, how they can work with us is, you know, work through the IB in our workshops to see the data and, and we will, you know, within, before the end of the year, roll out a full platform approach to that. Um, I think the other thing is the kind of content that we create for some of the biggest video game companies in the world, the biggest games in the world, you know, some of the biggest events that have happened live on Twitch and YouTube and places like that, we can actually apply that to brand content, right? So as brands are thinking about outside of the box of the 30 second spot, do you want to more actively engage with this world? Well, a great way to do that is kind of integrate yourself into the content itself. That's, I wouldn't suggest that as first step in, but if you've got a little bit of experience in the space, you know, we, we create, I think, more content 
premium content on Twitch than anybody else does on Twitch and YouTube gaming um, for most of the big game companies. And we work with most of the creators and most of the agencies and teams. So we have the connectivity to kind of put that together. And I think looking ahead at the future, you know, when you think about what the metaverse is, um, it's, it's already existed for most gamers for a really long time. Right. right. It's not, it's not a foreign concept. And I think, um, you know, I start to think of it as how do you create a better consumer interactive experience in a, in a environment that's a little bit more game-like. And I think that's what, you know, but if you ask people like, um, to give you an example of the metaverse, they'll say like, Oh, the, the marshmallow DJing a set to 11 million people in Fortnite or, you know, the cast of Star Wars flying the Millennium Falcon around inside of Fortnite. We actually did those things. Like Marshmallow was in our studio in Burbank. He wasn't actually in the metaverse, but that, those are the kind of things that we can do technically. So I think that's not something, I don't think we could, a brand could necessarily leap right into that world today. And we don't, we don't really do advisory, but, you know, certainly for the more advanced brands, um, that think of themselves more like media properties and want to be more playing around in the content space, not just purely ad creative and ad messaging. That's something that we're starting to get a lot more incoming requests about. How do we, you know, how does this brand play in that world? Not just how do I integrate it in some content that's going to exist, but how do I create some content or integrate into some content or how do I think about this more broadly? So I think that's, probably going to continue to be more of a business for us in the future as well. I love that. It's a, you're a franchise enabler accelerator in a new channel because that's a. Only an expert marketer could have consolidated that. <laughs> but that's, I mean, <laughs> or someone that's just a huge fan because I think that's, I think that's what you just said in a way, which just, and I've heard what you've, are doing, but that was a new way of looking at it that was really inspiring because if you've got IP, that IP in theory should be appropriate to whatever audience age it is. If that audience is in gaming or that audience is going to the movies or that audience is uh, skiing or whatever the heck that audience does, you should be there with them adding yeah. value no matter what they're doing. Um, I, I do think you guys are going to be in the advisory business, but maybe not in a traditional <laughs> agency style way. In fact, I might ask you to be in the advisory business because <laughs> I, got, I got some clients we have to talk about, Mike. Um, but it all comes back down to from where we started this conversation, um, you know the audience. And mm -hmm. it sounds like Bindex is a true north for understanding the psychology of this audience, not just of gamers. Of this, That just is where they happen to play and the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the way I always talk about it is know your audience speak their language and understand their world. And you guys seem to be the, the cultural diplomats that can guide people along this really exciting journey. I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to see more and maybe take the class. And we've got lots to talk about Mr. Sepso. Excellent. Well, look, I think it's what you said at the beginning of the conversation, the quote, I don't remember the exact percentage, but 80 something percent of Gen Z says gaming is their primary hobby which means as Gen Z ages into be, becoming the dominant consumer base, 80-something percent of consumers will be primarily gamers. So the kinds of places they're going to want to play around and be consumers, and they're going to be like games. So the, the whole world is moving into a gaming environment, and I think that's um, 
that's the world that we've been living in for a long time. That's the world that we're helping big video game companies create. But I do think that there's a tremendous opportunity for brands to kind of think ahead, get in early and experiment and kind of carve out space. So I know a bunch of them have kind of gone in and bought, you know, metaverse real estate as an option on the future. But, I, you know, interacting more with a broader consumer base in the space is probably a better idea to learn from than that. Amen to that. Well, Mike Sepso, Vindex, loved seeing you. This was the best conversation. We weren't even eating or drinking or anything. <laughs> Next time, we're going back to Coke. That sounds great. Thank you for that. joining us today, Mike. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and will come along with us as we navigate this exciting journey to the promised land of the creator economy. Make sure to, to subscribe or follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to audio. And of course, we'd love a rating and review if you get the opportunity. And special thanks to Mike Sepso for joining us. Make sure to check out more from Whaler and all things at the intersection of talent, partnerships, technology, and creativity at whaler.com. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For everything is better with creators, I'm Jamie Goodfriend. We'll catch you next time. with creators is produced by whaler whaler we power the creator economy learn more at whaler.com hey there podcast fam are you ready to break free from the social media rut hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you meet viral growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.